talking about Christmas, and next year we'll be talking about New Year's, and, and, uh, so, and then we'll come back to the book of John. But we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through, oh gosh, 1 through 15, 1 through 15 today. So I'm going to read through it, it's going to be up here on the, on the screen as well, but you're welcome to read along with me if you like. I'm in the English Standard Version of the, of the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of God. Uh, today I want to talk to you about Christmas. I want to talk about Christmas. And this is such an important message uh, because there is so much misunderstanding. There are so many misconceptions about what Christmas is really about, aren't there? I mean, if we, if we were to look around our society, maybe if we were to be honest with ourselves a little bit, I think one of the misconceptions is that Christmas is just really a time to, to get gifts and to give gifts. Maybe a little bit more on the getting gift side, right? We focus on that. Christmas is about gifts and shopping and what's under the tree, right? Am I right? Am I right or am I right? Right? We kind of that's kind of like taking over what Christmas is really about. I mean, I think nothing you know exemplifies this more than the story about little Billy. Did you hear a story about little Billy? Little Billy one day was you know thinking, oh my gosh, gosh, Christmas is almost here, and um, you know I got to write a letter to Jesus and tell him what I what I want. Billy, little Billy is from Christian family, right? I gotta write a letter to Jesus and tell him what I want. So he sits down, little Billy grabs a, a you know, piece of paper and a pen, this is very analog back in the day. And he's writing, Dear Jesus, I've been a really good boy this year. And then Billy stops and he thinks, ah, oh, 
No, no, I haven't. I haven't been a good boy. I can't write that. That's a blatant, bold-faced lie. And he rips the paper out and crumples it and he throws it away. And he grabs another piece of paper. And he writes, Dear Jesus, I've tried to be a good boy this year. Then he says, wait a minute. I haven't even tried to be a good boy. Jesus is God. He knows everything. He, he, knows, he knows that's a lie. I can't write that. He crumbles the paper up and he throws away. And little Billy's totally frustrated and exaggerated, exasperated at this point. What am I going to do? He gets up, starts walking around his living room. And he looks over at the fireplace. Right above the mantle, he sees that beautiful nativity scene. And he walks over, and he sees this picture of Christmas. And he sees there little baby Jesus in the manger. He sees Joseph. He sees Mary. And he picks up Mary. And he holds her gently in his hands. And he walks back to his room. And he puts Mary down on his desk. He looks at her, and he takes out another piece of paper and a pen, and he starts to write, Dear Jesus, I have your mother. <laughs> Poor little boy. Doesn't understand the meaning of Christmas. Now, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's more. There's more misunderstandings and misconceptions about Christmas. Like, for example here, the whole scene of what's happening in Matthew chapter 2. The wise men, when they came, who were these wise men? Okay, just a little bit of background. These wise men were likely from Persia, okay, 2,000 kilometers away in the east. They were people who might have heard, I think probably heard, about the prophet Daniel and his prophecies when he was exiled, taken as a prisoner to Babylon. 600 years earlier. And there he prophesied, and the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medo Persian Empire. And, and these people, who were wise men, in Daniel, he says there were Magoi there in Persia, in Babylon. Magoi is where we get Magi, right? Where we get that word from. These were, were probably connected. These were people from Persia who through astronomy and astrology mixed it together with what they had heard about Daniel. They somehow saw a new star, which oftentimes back then in ancient cultures meant somebody significant was born. That combined with the supernatural leading of God. God was very much involved in this. Led them to Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem. That's who these wise men were. But there is so much misunderstanding about even what was happening here in Matthew chapter 2. For example, if you look at... You know, here are some wonderful, beautiful nativity scenes that you can find if you look online, if you just Google it. But you know what they all have in common? They're wrong! They're so messed up! They're so messed up! First of all, it took them about a year or two to get to Jesus, to get the baby Jesus. Toddler Jesus. To get to toddler Jesus. He wasn't a baby. By the time they got there, they always draw him as a baby. But Jesus was a toddler by the time that they got there. The family, it says in verse 11, when they went into the house where they were, if Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were still in a manger after two years, can you imagine? That? They'd be like, yeah, I think it's time to move. I think it's time to get out of a barn and find some more you know, normal accommodations. And 
The Bible doesn't say that there's three. Usually they draw three of them. I mean, these were these were important people. They brought a lot. They brought gold. You, you probably want some soldiers, right? You probably want some, like, retinue traveling with you to kind of make sure everything's safe. I think there's a decent-sized contingent there. So there's all these misconceptions about what was happening when Jesus was born. Now, what, what I want to talk to you about is the misconceptions that we see even by the people around Jesus at his birth, particularly by these religious leaders, the priests, and also by the political leader, Herod. Not just us now, through whether it's our pictures or little Billy, but people throughout the ages have been misunderstanding what the birth of Jesus is about, including those who were there when it happened, including the religious leaders and including Herod. Now, let me talk first about these religious leaders. What was their misunderstanding? Their misunderstanding was this. They treated God, they treated their religion as if it were an empty religion, devoid of relationship with God. Why do I say that? Because these religious leaders, they knew that Jesus was born. It says, the wise men came and told Herod, and it says, Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed. These religious leaders heard about this. They were all agitated. They were like, what? These guys came from where? To worship somebody born king of the Jews? They knew all about this. In fact, Herod asked them, they even told Herod where the Messiah was to be born. They said, according to the Bible, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. They knew all about this, but they didn't go. They didn't go to visit the Messiah. These wise men traveled 2,000 kilometers to go see the Messiah. These religious leaders couldn't walk six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to go and see Jesus. Now, if you, if you want to play devil's advocate, you could say, well, maybe they thought, why should we listen to these strangers coming from who knows where? What do they know about the Messiah? But come on, man. I mean, these were important people in their society. They traveled 2,000 miles. They brought gold. Wouldn't you at least want to investigate and check it out if it's for real? But they didn't. What was the misconception of these religious leaders? What was their misunderstanding? How did they treat God? They treated God. They treated their religion like it was about knowledge. But they didn't care to have a relationship with God. Let me say that again. They treated this, they had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't care to have a relationship with God. They had the Old Testament, uh, first, five book of, first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. A lot of them probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. In terms of knowledge, they had unbelievable amounts of knowledge. The problem is, Christianity it's not just about knowledge. It is about a relationship with God. You see, Jesus came into this world because our relationship with God was broken. It was severed because of our sin. But Jesus was born into this world in order to go to the cross, to die upon the cross for our sin. 
so that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, we can have our relationship with God restored. It is about restoring our relationship with God. Not just knowledge. God wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, I think it was Pastor Joel who a few months ago when he was speaking, he gave this, this illustration that I love, so I'm going to repeat this here. You know, there's like two ways to study at a university. One way is to go in and say, what do I need to do to graduate? This is probably the track most of us were on. What do I got to do? What do I have to take? What's the easiest route from A to Z? How do I fulfill these requirements? What does that usually look like? It usually looks like asking around, who's the easiest teacher in this subject that I need to take? What do I need to do? What's the bare minimum that gets me out of here with a degree and a respectable grade so that I can go on and get a job, right? That's one way to go to university, probably the way that most of us talk. Another way to go to university is to say, who do I want to learn from? Who do I want to become like? This professor. I love what he teaches. I love what he stands for. I love not just what he teaches in the classroom, but what he does with this knowledge outside of the classroom. I want to be like this professor. I want to be like him. I want to study under him. I'm going to take as many classes as I can under him so that I can think like him. I can become like him. That's a totally different way to go to university. That's probably the way we all should have. That's the way, we, you know, we can approach relationship with God in the same way. Is, is, is Christianity something where you, you come into and you go, okay, God, what do I need to do? Do I need to go to church? Do some giving? Serve? What do I need to do in order to graduate from earth and make sure I get into heaven with at least a C? Okay? I'll take a C. Right? Many of us think that way. What do I need to do to make sure I escape hell, make sure I graduate out of this world, and I get into heaven? The other way says, I want to know who Jesus is. I want to become like him. Because life is not just about getting out of this world. Life is about being like Jesus in this world. And that requires not just empty religion or knowledge. That requires a relationship. Getting to know this God. Walking with him. And becoming like him. God wants us to be in relationship with him. Jesus died upon the cross so that we can be in relationship with him, not in religiosity, but in relationship. You know, friends, if, hey, it's Christmas Eve, right? If, if there are any of you here, maybe, maybe you don't normally ever go to church. <laughs> maybe you're here because it's Christmas Eve. And I guess, hey, Christmas Eve, maybe I should go to church on Christmas Eve. You know what, if, if that's what brought you here today, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're here. But I can tell you, and I'm glad you're here to hear this, that Jesus wants so much more for you than seeing you once a year on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever it might be. Jesus wants a relationship with you. That's what Christmas is about. He came so that you can have a relationship with him. You know, like, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Christine, right there. If I said to Christine, honey, I love being married to you. I'll see you once a year. Would that be a good marriage? No. What if my kids, after they graduate, they go to college, and they say, Dad, I'll see you once a year. 
I'll go fine. You're not going to get any money out of me though, then, right? What kind of what kind of relationship would that be? Would that work for any of you in, in a meaningful relationship? If you're here because it's Christmas, I'm so glad you're here. But know that Jesus wants more than that. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he died upon the cross so that you could be in a relationship with him. Now. The second misunderstanding here, not by the religious leaders, but by Herod. Yeah. Herod's misunderstanding was very different. His was not about empty religion or religiosity instead of relationship. His misunderstanding came down to the issue of authority. Issue of authority. Now here's the thing. Herod, unlike the religious leaders, Herod was very interested in this Messiah that was born. Very, very interested. He wanted to know where he was, and he wanted to go see him big time. That's all he could think about for a while when these wise men came, was I want to go see this child that was born, king of the Jews. Unlike the religious leaders, very, very interested. But for all the wrong reasons, he wanted to go and see this child, not to worship him, that was a lie, but to kill him, but to kill him. The angel warned the wise men. Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. In fact, when the wise men didn't go back to Herod, Herod realized he'd been duped. He got so mad, he destroyed all the children, all the male boys under two years of age in Bethlehem because he was so paranoid. He was so paranoid. What, what was it about Herod? You see, he understood something very accurately, unlike the religious leaders. He understood this child was born king. He was born a king. What that means then is that I am not in charge. Now, now Herod, he didn't understand that it wasn't about, Jesus didn't, wasn't born into this world so that he could sit on a throne in Jerusalem. Right? That's, he wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. He came to be king on a much grander scale. He's already the king of the universe. But he did understand one thing. I don't want to surrender my authority to Jesus. Friends, when Jesus was born into this world, the message of the gospel about Christmas is that he was born king. Born king. He's not waiting in the line to become king. He was born king. Baby Jesus or toddler Jesus, make no mistake about it. He, I, I'm sure he was very cute. I think all babies are cute. But, well, not all. Okay, most. <laughs> all renewal babies are cute. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus was pretty cute. Or actually, the Bible says there's nothing about him to attract us to him. So maybe he was not a cute baby. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole, don't want to go down that rabbit trail. But he was cute, but he was very dangerous as well. Make no mistake about it. He was very, very dangerous to my authority, to your authority, to Herod's, to anybody else's. Because he was born king, and as God, he demands our complete and total obedience and allegiance to him in every part of our lives. You see, the reason Jesus went to the cross in the first place, in the first place, the reason he was born into this world and then he went to the cross to die was because we rebelled against God as king. We rebelled. We tried to throw a coup. We said, God, we don't want you to be king. That's what Adam and Eve did. When God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a sign of his authority. And they say, forget you, God. We'll eat what we want to eat. It looks good to me. 
We're going to take it and we're going to eat it because we're going to call the shots about what we can eat and what we can't eat. That's basically what they were doing. They're saying we are going to be in charge of what we want to do. And ever since then, humanity has been in rebellion against God. Look, friends, you, I'm, you're not like Herod. You're not literally going to go out there and try and kill baby Jesus, right? I know that none, I don't think there's anybody here who would try and go out there and do that. But we can live as if Jesus were dead to us, which is functionally the same thing. Meaning, I'm in charge of my life. I'm king. I decide what I want to do. There's no need for me to submit to this God or to surrender my life, control of my life to him. I'm in charge. That's functionally the same thing. Many of you may know that famous poem, Invictus, by William Ernest Henley. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the last two sentences, I think, capture this so well. And he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's how so many of us live. I want to be the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul, not God. God, if you want to come alongside and help me out, that'd be great. But I am the one who decides what I will do with my life. Now, Christians too. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're a Christian, this applies to us as well because spiritual transformation, it, what is it? It's the process of letting God be king. That's what spiritual transformation is. It's the process of letting God be king. And there are so many ways that even as a Christian, we can be tempted to rebel against that. For example, we can compartmentalize. Human beings are so good at compartmentalizing. We are. Some people can take bad experiences, trauma, hurt that they've experienced, and they can bury it away deep inside the, the back of their mind, the back of their heart, in order to be able to go on with their life, almost as if it never happened. They compartmentalize. Some people can compartmentalize, and they say, I can, I can do things that are bad, I can do things that are evil. Why? Because I do other things that are good. I do lots of good things. So therefore, it's okay that I do these bad things because I do all these good things here as well. And they compartmentalize how they live. And they say, I'm more of this good person than I am this bad person. We can do it with God as well. I'll give you one example of how we do this. Money. Money is a really good example. And this goes both ways. For example, we can say, God, I will be at church I will serve, I will care about people, I will be the, the first one in, the last one to leave, just don't talk to me about money. Don't touch my money, just let me do whatever I want with my money, buy what I want, I just, I just want to enjoy my money, God. I'll do everything else, just don't talk to me about money. Now, vice versa, on the flip side of that, you can have somebody who says, God, I give so much to you. I give so much to the poor, to the needy, to Christian causes, to build your church. I built that way with the church. Look at all that I did with my money, God. See how much I've done? Now, just don't talk to me about the affair I'm having in my life. Don't talk to me about the shadiness of my business practices. Don't talk to me about how I treat my family or my coworkers. Why don't we just leave that stuff alone since I give so much? You can do it either way. It's easy to compartmentalize as Christians and to say, God, here's all the things I do for you. Let's not look at these other areas of our lives, of my life. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I 
have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But it is Christ who lives in me. What that means is, God, as a Christian, I no longer live. I'm not my own. I belong to you, body, soul, spirit, mind, every part of me. My past, my present, my future, my dreams, everything belongs to you. And it's for your pleasure and for you to lead as you will. That's, that's what it means to live with God as our king. Now, I, I know that the idea of that can be scary. Giving up control is scary. But, but this is the God who you are surrendering control to. I think John 10.10 10 captures this so well. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says that Jesus, he came to this earth to die upon a cross so that you can be in a relationship with him so that you can truly live. So that you can experience the life that you were always meant to live. The fullness of life. The best possible life. The best life for you. The best life for your kids. The best life for, for your family. The best life for It is the very best thing that you can do for yourself and those around you. Look, God, who would you rather have leading your life? The God who is all-powerful knows everything, knows everything about you, who actually was the one who made you, he created you for a purpose that only he knows, and he loves you so much that he gave his own son, that his own son died upon the cross so that you could be in a relationship with him. Would you rather have this God lead your life, or would you rather lead your own life? I don't know about you, but I would do it terrible job of reading my own life. Friends, Christmas, Christmas, what we celebrate tomorrow is about the God who was born into this world in order to die. The rejection that Jesus faced from Herod, the political leader, from uh, the religious leaders, that foreshadowed what he experienced at his birth foreshadowed the way that he would die at the end of his life, at the cross. Sentence of death by Pilate, the political leader. And sent to the cross by the religious leaders, the Pharisees. His death is the way to a relationship with God. But this relationship is not only of God as our Father with his children, but also that of a king with his servants. Friends, maybe, you know, if, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've even gone to church a lot, or maybe for your whole life, but you've never prayed and asked God to come into your life. You've never invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If that's never happened to you, I would say that maybe you're here in this service today even for a specific reason. Maybe you don't even know what it was. Like, it's kind of like these wise men. They, they didn't know everything about the Old Testament. They didn't have this picture and all the knowledge that these religious leaders did. But there was something that drew them from 2,000 kilometers away 
to come. And God was the one who was drawing them. God was the one who was inviting them. I think God may be drawing you and inviting you as well to come and be in relationship with him, through his son. God is drawing you and wants to be your father and he wants to be your king. Would you invite him into your life as Lord and Savior so that you can experience life and life abundantly? Let's pray together as we respond to this message. I want to invite the worship team up at this time. I want to invite you right now. Um, you know, with our eyes closed, if there's anybody here and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've gone through the motions, the religious motions of Christianity, but you've never actually prayed and said, God, I believe that I am a sinner. And that the only way to be forgiven and to be in relationship with you is by believing in your son. That he came and he died upon the cross for my sins. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray that prayer this morning. All you have to do in your heart is to pray and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you be my Lord and Savior? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you help me to follow you? I want to believe. I want to be your disciple. And if you pray that prayer, if you just mean it in your heart, you are born again, your sins are forgiven, and you enter into that relationship with God. You begin to experience life. So if that's you, would you take a moment right now just to pray? You can pray that in your heart silently. You can invite God in. I'm just going to pause for about 30 seconds or so. If that's you, would you just pray?